Joshua. You know, you walk into a church, and I know we've got a bunch of folks who are here with us visiting this morning, and it just always is, a, is an honor that you would take time to come and share in a special event. If you're visiting with maybe one of the relatives we're being baptized today, that's, that's such a significant thing in their life, and thank you for participating in that. But, you know, we walk into churches, and we do stuff in churches that we kind of wonder, okay, is that just what churches do and what they've always done? Right, we baptize today. Okay, we find that in scripture. Where that idea come from? It came from the Bible, and and now we're going to preach God's word. And so, is that just what churches do? Somebody just, you know, we just inherited an idea from somewhere. So we do it way back long ago. Somebody had this idea to preach God's word. We don't know where it came from, but that's just what churches do. Well, no, actually, it's God's idea. It's God's idea that God would record certain people, certain events in Scripture. And then he would have those events proclaimed to us. And through the years, over and over again in gatherings, God has honored that. And God is actually the one who instilled that into his church. If you go back and you look in the New Testament, you find the Apostle Paul telling a young man named Timothy stuff like this. Listen, he says, all scripture, and that's what we're going to read in a second, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, that, just, that just puts you in a category just now, right? I mean, here, volunteer for one of these. Are you here this morning because God wants to teach you something or he wants to reprove or correct something in your life or he wants to train you in living your life in a righteous manner, right? That, that's what God had intended for his scriptures to accomplish. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So what we're about to do right now, it's God's idea so that uniquely there could be an effect on our souls. Uh, An effect that God creates, uh, I want to say, mysteriously. It's not because there's any inherent power in anybody who speaks before you. It's not because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this unbelievable argument today that just it's going to corner you. You won't be able to overcome it. You're going to have to do whatever's said. It's not because, you know, we're going to pump gas into the room and mesmerize you and you're going to believe something that you don't want to believe. It's because God is strangely at work when we preach his word. We're just honoring what God has said. So, you know, why do I, I say that somewhat because I just think sometimes we take for granted what we do. But also say it because we're about to read about a guy named Joshua. And scratch our heads and go, okay, what does this story have to do with me living my life today in suburban New Orleans, modern technology? I mean, this is a guy who lived 3,400 years ago. He lived 7,000 miles away from here in some desert location. And this conversation is going to get had between him and God. And God recorded it knowing, knowing that he would intend for it to be preached and to become relevant in your life today here in New Orleans. So that's the mystery of what God does. It's not the mystery of what a human being does to preach. It's the mystery of what God does in preserving these stories. So let's look together at Joshua. Started to say Malachi. I think we've been in Malachi a while, haven't we? (laughs) Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. It says, after the death 
of Moses. Well, I'm going to do this because I want you to see something before I, uh, before I read anything here. I want, I want you to see four things here. So I want you to be looking for these four things. I think I put them in your outline there. One, I want you to see that God has a purpose. You can just see that in that passage. Number two, God calls people to an existence that's connected to that purpose. That's true for Joshua. It's true for you today. God calls you to be connected to his purpose somehow. Three, living in God's purpose takes courage. If you're going to fulfill the plan God has for you, you're going to need some guts. And four, courage needs to be fueled and informed by God's presence and God's word. You just can't get courage because you're a tough person. It's going to need to come from somewhere. All right, now let's look for those things as we read a few verses here. Joshua 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. Or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law, right, these scriptures, they shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lord, it's an amazing thing to think how personal you are, that you preserve this story about this man's life and your dealings with him so that some 3,400 years we could be seated here facing our own life and our own issues, our own struggles and questions, and you would speak to us today. Well, that's how particular you are. So, God, I thank you for being personal with each of us this morning, that you want to communicate with us. God, use our names. Call us out. Reveal yourself to us. Meet us as we've gathered this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first thing here, God has a purpose. You jump into this story, God engages a man named Joshua. They're on this side of a river. There's the Jordan River. So they're, they're facing to the west here. They're on the other side of it. And God's saying, it's time for you to cross this river and to go into this land. Now, 
when you and I begin to read this story, it's almost like, you know, I don't, they don't do this anymore, but remember years ago and they'd interrupt this program for blah, 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 and then they go back, we now rejoin the regularly scheduled program already in progress. Well, that's kind of what we're doing right here. This program's already in progress. It assumes that you know something about who Moses was and the significance of who he was and what he did and that he's dead, and that's a pretty big deal at this moment. It assumes that this land that God just described, he gave boundaries for it. He said, I promised this land that you would inherit it. I made that promise years ago, and, and now, Joshua, it's time. It's time for you to go in and take possession of that land. So there's, there's already a plan in place. Now, how many of you know how significant that is for you right now to know? There's already a plan in place for your life. You know, at different points we clue into that. I clued into it the greatest of ways as a teenager when I was lost. I didn't know God. And there began to be this awakening in my heart that there was a real God. And in a little phrase that somebody shared in a Bible study, it came right out of the, the four spiritual laws track. God loves you and he has a plan for your life. That, that just leapt off the page for me. That God had a plan. God had a plan for me. Right At some point, you kind of awaken to that. I hope this morning, if you, if you haven't been in touch with that, I hope this morning you get awakened to the fact that the God of the universe, <clears throat> he has a plan for you to fulfill in your life. Now, here's where this becomes pretty important. I think I wrote this out in your outline. Before Joshua can understand who he is, and what his assignment in life is about, he has to get what God is about. Before Joshua can have a shot at understanding, Joshua, what's your life supposed to be about? Who are you supposed to be? What life are you supposed to be living? What are you aiming at? What's important to you? What are you sacrificing for? What are you studying and preparing for in life, Joshua? Well, if he doesn't get what God's about, he can't get what he's about. That's true for Joshua, but can I say it's true for every one of us today as well? The Bible says that our life and our breath come from God. It's like it's given to us for a purpose. So you have a purpose as well. If you're a teenager here, I was a teenager discovering that God had a purpose for my life. If you're a student, you're in college, you're trying to figure out what, what to major in. Maybe you're a corporate uh, ladder climber. You're at this point in your life, you know, your career is taking off and you've got some advancement and there's, there's possibilities. Should I move here? Should I change my life? Should I, should I take that job? Should I take this position? Right? You're thinking through, there's a plan in your life. right? Maybe you're a retiree and you're on the other end of those decisions. There's, there's still a plan in your life. And that plan gets revealed by God's big plan. right? Your life is not a random set of activities that you just choose to be who you're going to be today and who knows what you'll choose tomorrow and hopefully it's a good thing. Just random activities. Joshua's life is not a random action. It's connected to something bigger. It's connected to a purpose of God. I love to watch, uh, and it's probably not something that a lot of people are watching. That's why it's on like PBS in, in times when nobody cares. People who paint, you ever watch these shows? <clears throat> I'm fascinated that it ever turns into anything because when it starts, it just looks like a mess. But let, let me tell you, there was a guy... This is last year. My boys and I were, uh, went to a New Orleans Hornets game. It's where we get our art classes at the New Orleans Hornets game. Um, at halftime, you know, at halftime they do that, these freak show things. These people come out at halftime. They do the most bizarre stuff. 
Well, this particular day, this guy comes out, and, they, and he puts up this canvas. It's, it's probably a little bigger than the general store thing there. And, and he sets down in front of it these buckets of paint with paintbrushes in them. Music cranks up, and this guy, I mean, this is literally, this is literally how he painted. He stared back at the canvas for a second, the music's going. He walked over, and he grabbed buckets, and he went, mm, mm, and he'd put them back in. He'd go grab these over here, and he'd, mm, both, both hands. He's painting with both hands, flinging stuff and going back and forth. And, grab, and, and when he starts off, you're just thinking, this, this, is, a, this is a mess. Do the, are the hornets going to clean this up? I mean, this guy's going to get paint everywhere. And, and along the way, it slowly begins to look like it might be something. This might be turning into something. But you just can't believe it because the guy is moving too fast, painting with both hands, and doesn't look like he's careful at all. And then suddenly he, he just puts up a couple of lines, puts it back in, grabs another one, a couple of dots and dashes, puts it back in, a couple more lines, and then a little round, then a round circle, and all of a sudden you can see it's a man. He's painting a man. And then just a few strokes later, it's not just any man, clear as a bell, it's Martin Luther King. This was Martin Luther King Day was the day we were at, we were at the basketball game. And it was Martin Luther King. And, and, you had, and you could hear it all over the crowd. He put a couple of marks up there at the right time, and the whole crowd goes, oh. Like, everybody got it at that moment. It's like, oh, that's what that's about. Look, when you read the Bible, uh, the Bible comes to you, and it can feel like a bunch of random brush marks. Just stuff is flying everywhere. There's these stories. There's Joshua, and before Joshua, there were some others. And, and the whole storyline can just seem like, what's up with that? What's up with that? I remember a few years ago, I think I may have told this story. A few years ago, I had a doctor, one of my doctors I was visiting. She said how hard it was to really just kind of get into the Bible. She said, I just, it's just hard for me to understand. I mean, she literally said, I mean, what's the deal with Abraham offering his son? Why, why is Abraham offering his son on some mountain as a sacrifice? Right? Well, that's an interesting thought. Right? Is that just some random, little random blotch up on the screen there, a little story? Well, no. No, it's, it's part of a, of a bigger story. Right? When you pick up the Bible, the Bible's going somewhere. It's got these brush marks that along the way, they're advancing this picture. And there's going to come a moment, and that moment is at the cross where Jesus Christ goes to a cross. At that moment, it's kind of like the moment where you go, that's Martin Luther King. At that moment, you get a revelation that this whole Bible has been about something particular. Joshua's life is part of a story that's from Genesis to Revelation. There's a story unfolding, and God is is installing images and aspects so that you and I can have that moment where we go, Aha, that's what that is, right? When you, when you grab a guy like Abraham, what's the deal with Abraham's story? Well, you know, in Abraham's story, you find God, right? I, I, this is God's redemptive story, right? From cover to cover, redemptive story. I like that word because it represents what God is doing. His actions are redeeming people. His actions are taking people who are in a distant, far-off place and bringing them back. That's what redemption does. It brings us back to himself. Right, the Bible refers to this as the gospel story. And so when you're reading Genesis and you come across a man named Abraham, is that just some random, you know, blotch up on the screen? Well, no, no. Abraham is, is a man through whom God tells an aspect of the story of redemption. 
Abraham is the man that God chooses to, to sort of re-engage humanity into that family, into his, his descendants. Man has drifted. Man is wayward. Man doesn't live for God. Man doesn't know the priority of God, the importance of God. So God re-engages Abraham. All right, so what's, what's up with the sacrifice thing? Ah, oh, well, that's a pretty important thing. I mean, there's little, little elements in the story of Abraham. If you know the Bible, you, you know you, you already got that aha moment, right? So you recognize God is telling Abraham, Abraham, I'm, I'm more important than anything else in your life. I'm more important than the things you love the most. Abraham, take, take your son, your only son, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. What's up with that story? It's God illustrating that's the kind of supreme relationship he wants to have with us. Not a casual relationship, not a secondary relationship. That story is there for a reason, but that story also has a boy on an altar with a ram caught in bushes on the side over here. What's up with that little blotch over there? Have you read the story? There's a, there's a ram in the thicket, and that ram's going to become a sacrifice, and the boy's going to get spared. Right? Do you see the imagery here? There's pictures going on. One who is going to be sacrificed is going to be spared, and a lamb is going to take its place. It's pictures. God's trying to explain something, right? So we pass along. We go from Abraham. Then we get to a man named Moses, right? We've joined the program already in progress. Moses is part of the Exodus, right? That's where he gets his fame. He's rescuing people out of a really bad situation. He's rescuing them out of this place called Egypt. It's this, this place where sin is dominant. Life is oppressive. Life is hard. It's difficult. It's disappointing. And man needs to get rescued out of that. So Moses is sent by God. Part of the story that God wants to communicate is I've come to rescue you out of a really bad situation. All right, now listen, I... I couldn't get past this morning without, man, the, the news is just flooded, right, with this event in Aurora, Colorado, and all of us just get affected by it at a, at a bunch of angles. I, I get, you know, it's just painful to watch people who just moments, just hours earlier, their children or their relative was just going to a movie, and no preparation, suddenly, suddenly they're lost, and they're gone. And then there's all the questions. I mean, listen, what, and I guess that'll be in the news for days, you know, what drives someone to do something like this? How do you make a decision to walk into a theater and do that? How do you think that through? How do you coldly just take other people's lives? Well, you know, I don't, I don't know what they're going to find. And I could guess at answers, but I, I do know this, that gunmen and the people that are hurting and all the questions and all the sorrow and all the grief, that's what God came to rescue us from. That's where people live. People live in the pain of this life. And, you know, most of us maybe don't have a whole lot of sympathy for a guy who can walk into a movie theater and just open fire on people, but, but something led that guy up to that. This guy bumped into life in such a horrible way, it twisted him in knots, 
and then he got under the influence. Listen, you live in a spiritual world. Don't anybody think the only thing that was going on in that movie theater was a physical man with a physical gun? According to the Bible, we live in a spiritual world. There are forces of wickedness in heavenly places that influence the lives of people who live in this land. And so, I'd, you know, I'd be willing to estimate that there's quite a bit of spiritual activity going on in this man's life that leads him to this place that brings in this darkness and this oppression and this confusion, and he takes those kinds of action. Listen, that's the world, that's the land that the Bible tries to illustrate. When, when Moses shows up, when Moses gets to be that, that line in the storyline of God, when Moses steps in, it's because the people are crying out to God. Life is horrible in Egypt. And they're crying out to God, and God sends rescue to them. But God's not done, all right? So God is, I'm going to use these R's. God's reengaged man through Abraham. He has rescued man through Moses. And now he's going to restore man through Joshua, right? We're joining a program already in progress. God's doing something. Joshua's about to play a part in that. They've been rescued out of Egypt, but they're not where they need to be yet. They're not even where God wants them to be yet. They're on their way there. And Joshua is going to bring them into the promised land. Joshua, you're the man. I have a purpose, and I want you to take these folks across the Jordan into the promises. I'm restoring them through you. All right, so that's Joshua's, that's Joshua's story. Let me move to point number two here. God's got a purpose. Point number two, God calls people to a meaningful existence that's connected to that purpose. Right? So God's been at work long before Joshua was ever born, thought of, or his parents got together. God was already at work. And then Joshua comes along. God has a plan for this young man named Joshua. He's not young at this point. Verse 6, God says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. The land that God's been promising all this time, God says, it's time for you to be who I've called you to be. You're going to bring these people in, and they're going to inherit the land. Now, I think it's pretty important to recognize, not always comfortable, but important to recognize, God has ordained us to play a significant role in seeing his purpose furthered in other people's lives. Like it or not. God has ordained, not just to Joshua, but you and me. God has ordained for us to play an influential role in whether or not people are going to enter into the purposes of God. We're going we're to influence people in that. And listen, I don't always like that idea. Right? I don't always have a game going on. I, I got other issues. I got weaknesses. People got to deal with the weaknesses of Keith Collins if they're going to hang around in my life for very much. And I wish that weren't the case. I wish everybody just got, you know, just the utter influence that they need in their life. But, but they don't. But God's called us, every one of us, that you, you should feel a sense of meaningful responsibility in your life right now. It may not be Joshua with his assignment, but you're somebody with some assignment from God to fulfill in your life. Right, when, I, when I look at this, I look at Joshua Joshua's not a man who's self-appointed, nor is he accidentally there. 
Right? Sometimes we wonder how we got where we are. We just think fate. We believe in something called fate, luck, chance. Now, there's no luck, chance, or fate going on here. There's a sovereign God planning the details and involving this specific man at this specific time to accomplish his purpose. That's, that's you too. Do you understand why God preserves stories like this? That, that's you too. It's exactly what God had in mind as well for you, that you'd fulfill his purpose at a particular time to a particular people for his purpose to go to the next place, you know, to take the torch to the next person, pass it, and for it to keep going. Joshua's life affected the lives of others. It matters how you live. Apparently it mattered how Joshua lived. And God made that clear to Joshua. There's some responsibility sitting on you. Joshua's life purpose was connected to God's great purpose. Right? Remember, God said something about him finding great success. Right? Remember that? We like that word, don't we? Joshua, you will find great success. It's amazing how we, some people can read that story and they don't come to life until they get to that word. Success. Wait, wait, go back and read this. Joshua will find great success. Let me tell you what not to do with stories like this. All right, because what I just said, all right, God's painting a picture, right? So we're watching this picture. You know, there's an Abraham stroke, and then there's a, there's a Moses stroke, and there's the people of God stroke, and then there's Joshua's stroke, and we're beginning to get some idea about what God's doing. And each one of them are playing a role in that. If you don't get that aha, if you don't get what God's about, here's what you end up doing to the Bible. You come to the Bible, you find guys like Joshua, and you just substitute your name in there, and you say, hey, I'd like to be successful. You know, I mean, you haven't even seen the painting. You got something else going on over here. You've always wanted to be a fireman, or you've always wanted to be famous, or you always wanted to have this or have that. And you find success, and you think, well, what the Bible's trying to tell me is Keith can have success. Just like Joshua had success, Keith can have success. That's what I love about the Bible. It's a positive book. It's coming alongside all that I'm doing. Do you see how you can mess the Bible up really, really bad doing that? Joshua's success is connected to God's story, to God's purpose. It wasn't just some random dude. Matter of fact, there's no random people in the Bible. They're specific people fulfilling God's particular plan for their life. So this is, this is so, so key. If I were to ask you today, in what ways are you successful? Think about your life. And I say, hey, what? Tell me about you. In what ways are you successful? Where would you look at your life and you say, you know, hey, I'm not going to be arrogant here, but you know, I think I've been successful in this or successful in that. You got something in mind? Come on, don't zone on me here. All right, now next question. What does that area of your life have to do with the purpose of God? Because the same storyline that was going on in Joshua's life is still going on today. This story of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, this redemptive act of God where God recognizes there's a people who he's created who are distant from him, living in a hostile, oppressive land, and he is bringing them back to himself, to restore them to himself. God is still telling that story today through you and through me. And so when I look at success in my life, does my success have to do with that story 
or is it just something about my life, my characteristics, my personality, my choices that I've been interested in? All right, this success story is about what God was doing. All right, so here you got a man who's called by God. Number three, living in God's purpose is going to take courage. God tells Joshua that more than once. Be courageous, Joshua. This is, this is a tough call, right? You need to be, have courage to replace Moses, of all people, Moses. How would you like to be next in line to delete anything after Moses, right? I mean, there's not too many, I mean, other than Jesus, I don't think there'd be any other name in the Bible. I'd be interested in going next. You know, okay, Keith, your turn. Wait, after, after Moses? Here, you cut, cut in line. Cut in line. Two. Ray, get in line here. I want to get behind Ray. Uh, Ray. And then Keith, well, that'll, that'll work better. Um, right, you just turn back one page in Deuteronomy, you hear this about Moses. There's not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and for all the mighty power and the mighty great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. There's never been a guy like Moses, and Joshua gets to be next. All right, now let's make Joshua real. How many of y'all ever struggle with insecurity, jealousy, and comparison? Okay. (laughs) Can you imagine what this guy's thinking? I mean, he's standing up to give his first speech in front of the children of Israel. Oh, gosh, he's got to be thinking, do I? Do I sound like Moses? Do I, do I sound confident? Am I standing like Moses? I mean, do people like me? I mean, after, after a month of this, is he wondering, is there, is there a coup? Is, are people dissatisfied? Are, are they mocking me? Are they laughing at me? Do they think I'm a fool? He's following Moses. And then, even more sobered, why is he having to be the leader right now? Well, because Moses is dead. You ever read about Moses' death? Moses is dead right after he just got the greatest bill of health pronouncement about him. He's a hundred and something years old and his, his, his eyes didn't dim and his vigor didn't fade. How did he die? Well, God promised him, Moses, you will, you will not take these people into the promised land because you disobeyed me. Wow, that's sobering. I'd just like to be Joshua going to work for that owner. Right? I mean, wait, 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 God, you did what? You fired Moses? <laughs> I mean, he led the people. He did these unbelievable things. He got his people all the way here, and you fired him for that? Whoo! Actually, Moses actually asked God, God, can you just let me take the people in? And God actually, really, it's probably as strong of a rebuke as God gives to anyone. He tells Moses, enough. Do not bring this up with me again. You're next to lead the people. <laughs> Great. Are you starting to get why it says, be courageous, Joshua? <laughs> this is a little intimidating, right? How about this? Courage to face the future. The future that's going to have stuff that you know in it and stuff that you don't know in it. Right? They're going into this land, this, this land that God has promised to them, this This land flowing with milk and honey. This land that's a good land. But it's also got some problems in it. 
When they go spy out the land, they discover that, one, there's people already living in it. That's going to be a problem, God. I don't think they're just going to volunteer and say, we were just leaving. (laughs) Help yourself to the giant cities that we've built and all the vineyards that you won't have to build because we did that and all the wells that we dug. Yeah, we've been working hard for a long time, but y'all help yourselves. We were closed the door on the way out. We got you. These aren't going to want to leave. There's people here. There's people here, they said they have, they have built cities with walls that go to the, to the heavens. Right? Can you get this image? You're walking up to this city, and there's these huge castle-like walls. And so you got to be thinking, we're, we're going to have to kick them out of that place. That, that looks like a problem. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people in the city, and then we can't get to them, and we'll be open pray for them to get to us. Right? They're thinking this thing through. You know, what's really interesting about this whole city thing, just again, I want you to see the grace of God everywhere you read in Scripture. Here's a land where God says there are cities that you didn't build, there are vineyards that you didn't plant. Right Now, if you've planted fruit trees, you know how much you should be appreciating that. Because, you know, you plant a little fruit tree, you know, you go buy a cheap one from the nursery, right, and you stick it in the ground, and like years and years, like, you know, one orange pops off of it and it droops over like that. Look, honey, fruit. You know, it's one of them. You know, for like five years, that's what you get every year. Well, we've got these old trees in our yard and they're satsuma trees and orange. I got one that's about a 15 foot tall orange tree. Fruit all over this thing. All right, well, God says, hey, there's, there's vineyards that you didn't plant. They've been growing for years. They're bearing tons of fruit. There are wells that you didn't dig. All this I'm giving to you. Now, do you you get the picture here of what grace looks like? You will have built none of this. It will all be given to you. That's what's in the promises of God. There are things in the promises of God that you and I cannot achieve. We cannot build them. They are given to us by the grace of God. But what's interesting here is their fear is based in the very thing God's giving them. Because those nice walled cities, that'll come in handy once they move in and have to defend themselves. That's a gift from God, but as far as they're seeing it right now, it's a problem, these walled cities and the people that live here. That's a problem too. And so God knows immediately in their hearts there's this, there's this fear that comes in. right? You no more get God in verse 4 describing the land, and you're going in to get it, and everywhere your soul travels, that's going to be your land. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you. I mean, I don't know what God sounded like. Do you think that's what he sounded like? Because I think immediately he knew that there was this, wait, we, we, we send scouts into the land. There's all kinds of people. No man, no man's going to be able to stand before you. I'm going with you. This is a, a reassurance of God in the face of immediate fear. God has called these people to something. God has called Joshua to something. That his immediate response is, I can't do that. This is too big, too hard for me. I think I put this in your outline there. Do you get this sense that God understands that his assignments can sometimes feel overwhelming and intimidating. You get that sense? Because God wastes no time in assuring Joshua in the face of his fears, but Joshua, I'm, I'm going with you. I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. And immediately there's assurance. Now here, if I didn't write this down in your outline, you need to write it down. Please notice God does not adjust his plans in the face of their fears. God simply assures them. Because sometimes that's how God's going to deal with your life. He's going to assure you of something about himself. He's not going to adjust your plans because you're afraid of them. 
As a matter of fact, he's going to tell you something about himself, and then he's going to say, all right, now be strong and be courageous and have some courage. And so true for Joshua, true for us, some of the things God's calling you to do in your life right now are things that are intimidating and overwhelming, that God is calling on you to have courage to do them. Look at this definition for courage. It's the ability to face danger, difficulty, uncertainty, or pain without being overcome by fear or being deflected from a chosen course of action. John Piper says, Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the earthly cost because God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. An act takes courage if it will likely be painful, right, in, in, inherent. And anybody telling you, have courage, there's a reason why they're telling you that. <laughs> Just be ready. The pain may be physical, as in war and rescue operations, or the pain may be mental, as in confrontation and controversy. Crawford Loretz says, courage doesn't mean that I'm not afraid. I like this. It means that I fear God more than I fear my environment. It means that I trust in divine resources more than the resources of man. Right? That's, that's what having courage means for a believer. And if you, if you surveyed your life for these things, my question, how much of your life contains elements right now of danger, difficulty, and that just opened up a bunch, didn't it? Danger, uh, I feel pretty safe. Difficulty, how much of your life has difficulty in it? Uncertainty, how much of your life are you staring at that you just don't know the outcome of this? Or pain. Right? Think through your life right now where you, you're called to something in God. And you're going to need to be courageous to enter into that. Maybe you're, maybe you're single. You've been single for a long season, a disappointing season. It's difficult. The future is uncertain. And yet God would stand in your life and would say, be courageous. You might be a single parent, and you're, you, know, you just live month to month wondering, how, do, how can I be everything my child needs? How do I meet the physical and financial needs of my child. There's uncertainty in that and difficulty in that. And God stands and says, but, but I've called you, right? I mean, just, you know, Joshua's being told, Joshua, take these people over the river there. I'm causing you to have them influence that and inherit that. And, you know, okay, you're not Joshua and it's not a river, but, but you're a parent or, or you're facing financial issues in your life that are uncertain, but God's called you to something in your life health factors that come in that are difficult and threatening and full of fear. And God's telling you, I'm calling you right now. I'm involved in your life. I'm still painting. I'm still showing forth my glory, and I'm doing it through you. I'm still telling my story in your life. I'm not done with you. Be courageous. Listen, I, I know you just have moments in your life where you just have to have some guts. You just got to get something that causes you to take a stand of courage in God 
and not back down, not change, not alter course, not be overwhelmed by fear and apprehension. I think about this time of year, and this is when guys go back to school coming up in August, and I don't know how you guys were going to school, but I, you know, going back to school was, was an awkward thing for me, you know? Just, it, just, it, was, it was unpredictable, the settings of it there. I remember this one counselor, he called, uh, he called high school the chalkboard jungle. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's about right, because you feel like there's, there's stuff here. I could become prey at any moment, you know? Now, depending on who you are, if you're not one of the cool people, then you, then you, you have this fear that I'm going to be made a fool of today. I mean, what I'm wearing is going to get picked on. That guy is going to point me out in class, make me look like an idiot. Or if you are in the cool, then you've got to face the issue that I'm going to be challenged as to whether I'm the top of the cool, as to whether or not I can defend my reputation against that new guy first day of school. What if there's a new guy that's going to clock me and he can really take me and I'm going to be proven that I'm not as cool as I thought I was. This is what teenagers are going through, right, in August. And yet you got God's called you to something in your life right now. Be courageous. Step into the call of God courageously. Maybe God's calling you to move. You know, I just have such great respect for guys. You know, the Stubblefields have moved here in spite of the fact that they knew things about us. They still moved here. It's incredible. Um, you know, watch, I remember watching Dave and Lauren move to, to Houston. You know, people, they, they just step into a realm of unknown issues. I don't know what the relationships will be like there. I'm not quite sure how we're going to like this. What about my children? How will they connect? What's, what's in their future? Well, you know, what kind of church will we be involved with? Just a lot of unknowns, and yet God is, is involved in your life. And he's telling you do these things, and then he's saying you got to have courage. Be courageous. Okay, listen, where, wherever you are, right, can you in touch with the reality that there's some stuff God wants for you in your life? You're going to have to have courage to have it. All right, so where's that courage going to come from? All right, so the last thing I see in this passage. Courage needs to be fueled and informed by God's presence and God's word. Where do you get courage from? Well, where does God offer it? Look in verse 5. When he says to be courageous to Joshua, he says, Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I, I'm going to be with you in a particular way. I'm, I'm going to relate to you in a, in a way that's unique and effective and it's all you need in your life. You know, I, I don't think as believers, and I'm excited about looking at this more carefully for an extended period of time in the book of Acts, I, I don't think we appreciate the uniqueness of the presence of God for the people of God. Especially if you're thinking, well, you know, presence of God, it's everywhere, and it's for everybody. It's not like that. Do you remember, I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Do you remember Moses' greatest moment of fear? Greatest moment of fear. Golden calf has been built. God has chastised the people. God, there's an offense between the people of God and God. And now it's time for them to move on from Mount Sinai. And so they're, they're headed towards the promised land. And Moses hears God say something in a conversation one day. Just kind of a little passing thought. Uh, Moses, my, my angel is going to go before you. Moses throws the brakes on. Wait, 
What did you just say? Your angel is going to go before. What, a, what about you? Do you remember Moses' conversation? He says, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from this place. How will anybody know that we are distinctly different unless your presence goes with us? Understand, that's what Moses experienced that made his leading amazing, was the presence of God. So the promise to Joshua was, Joshua, my presence is going to go with you just like it went with Moses. Don't freak out. Have courage. I'm going to be there in an amazing way. Now, here's what, I, here's what I love about this big picture, right? That aha moment when God finally puts enough strokes up there where you see that all this stuff was leading up to a person named Jesus Christ and the work that he was going to do. It's interesting that, that Joshua's name in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the correlating name is, is Jesus. He is Yeshua. He is Jehovah saves Joshua. He is Yeshua in the New Testament. Jehovah saves. The man in the Old Testament whose name was to bring people into the promises of God, was to restore them to the place of God. In the New Testament, we discover that Joshua was just an, an illustration, an example for us to get the picture that in the New Testament, Jesus Christ was going to bring us in. He was going to restore us to God. And Jesus spoke about that all the time, all the time. He said, he talked about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit's been, been with you, but he will be in you. He talked about this living water that would, that like a river would flow out of your innermost being. And the Bible says, but this he spoke in reference to the Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Right? What was God doing in Jesus Christ? He was restoring us to himself. When we baptize all, I, I choose my words carefully. The reason why I baptize every one of these people into the person and the work of Jesus Christ is because it is who he is and what he did that restores us to God. Without him, we're just in pain in the movie theater with everybody else. Or we're angry and frustrated and hostile and taking matters into our own hands for some demented reason in our own lives in some way that maybe will never make the headlines, but it's got a trail of broken relationships in our lives because we just were angry and we've hurt people and we've alienated people because of what's in us, because we live in a land that we need to be rescued from and restored to God. Listen, this, this is the storyline. Joshua just plays a part in this storyline. He's trying to point to the Joshua, the Jesus who would restore man, who would bring them in, not just to a physical land, but to a relationship with God where they are restored in their souls to God. That's who Joshua is. That's who this man is. He's trying to point us to someone. My presence will go with you, Joshua. And, and, and don't let these words depart from you. Right, this word that you have. Remember the Bible, I won't take time to do this, but the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In Romans, it goes on and it says, and, and how will they hear without a preacher? Why do we preach God's word? Because what you're hearing today, 
supernaturally, God can take these words that are his words, this story about Joshua, this purpose of God from Genesis to Revelation, he can mysteriously touch your life in such a way that it's not, it's not my words, it's preaching God's words, and these words can be received, and faith can come into your heart. And in that faith, you'll suddenly find the courage to reach out and trust Christ with your life or to fulfill the plan that God has for you. What plan is that? And who is this God? Where do you find that? You find it right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Joshua, do not let these words depart from you. Hold fast to them. Now listen, this is true for us today as well. This word can touch your soul today. And maybe you're finding faith in your own heart this morning to have some courage this morning. And I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I'm going to pray for you. Maybe you're you're here, and I want you to just be in touch with this before we go to prayer in just a second. Eric, you you can come back up. I'm just going to close us in prayer in just a moment, but I don't want you to dismiss right now in your heart. I want you to receive something from God. God has a next step for you in your life. God has a season for you in your life. God's calling you to something in your life. Your name's not Joshua, but but you still got a name that matters to God. Whatever it is he's calling you to, it's going to take some courage for you to do that. And you're going to get that courage by knowing that God is with you. God has restored you to himself. He is at work in your life. He is faithfully involved in your life. The things that you're prone to be afraid of, God's saying, here's why you can have courage. Because I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, quite honestly, you can't say that if you've never taken this courageous step, this courageous step, to put your trust in the one who restores us to God. Right, to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, if, if in your life you've not trusted Christ and the work that he did on your behalf to restore you to God, if that's not happened, then, then listen, it's cultural to say, well, God is with you. But it's not biblical to say that. God truly was with Joshua in a unique way, as he was with Moses. He was with Moses in a unique way. He can be with you today in a unique way. His spirit restored into your life. You're having a sense of the nearness of God in your life. How does that happen? What happens by you having some courage this morning? If you've not done this before in your life, it really takes some courage to surrender your life to Jesus Christ this morning. It takes some courage and some humility to be able to say that I need God. And most of us, if we just would kind of cut down, turn down the noise for a second, and I were to ask you personally, hey, right now, do you you need God right now? I think a lot of us would bust through all the hardness of coolness on the outside and say, yeah, I do. I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. If you need God, and I want to ask you to do this, if you've not done this before in your life, 
you've ever come to the point where you say, Jesus Christ, I, I want you to save me. I want you to restore me to God. I feel like God is so distant from me. I, I want to be restored to God. And, and I'm going to surrender my life to you, God, from this moment forward. If you've not done that, and you want to do that, I'm going to ask you to have some guts right here in front of everybody sitting in this room. I'm going to ask you just to stand up where you are. I'm not going to bring you forward. I'm just going to pray a prayer for you in just a second. But if you've not taken that kind of courageous step to say, I know I need God. And this morning, I want to surrender my life to God, to the one who can restore me to God. If you want to do that, stand up right now where you are. else. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Just remain standing for a moment. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. just want anybody else who's here this morning. It's a courageous step to say, God, the future in my life, it's yours. I trust you. there's two things I want to make clear to you as we pray. You're going to need to trust Christ in two ways. One, you're going to need to trust him to restore you to God. And he does that by forgiving your sins. This is a great moment. No matter what you've done in your life, God is here today because of Christ to wash that away and to no longer let it have any effect on your relationship to God. No more sense of guilt and I've disappointed God and I've done that. No, God wants to cleanse you of that and give you a whole new start. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ took the penalty of that sin so that he could forgive you today. So you need to trust Christ to forgive your sins. And then you need to trust your future to God, to follow him. He's got a plan for you, but he's not going to tell you this morning what it is. Here's what he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you, I'm, I'm what you're after. Just follow me. Wherever I am, that's where you want to be. You might not know exactly where he's going to lead you, and you join the rest of us. I don't know what's next. I got saved as a teenager. I can guarantee you, I wasn't thinking I'm going to be standing up in front of 1,500 eyeballs explaining things to them. I think I'd have reconsidered. <laughs> but God had a plan, and he just said, will you just trust me? Will you just follow me? And I said yes, and he's never let me down. So I want to pray for you, and you can just pray. Just bow your heads together. And you, can, you, you put these words into your own words to God. Say this to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come to take my place, to bear my sin, to erase those sins from my life, to forgive me. God, this morning, I put my trust in what you've done for me. 
to forgive me of my sins and to restore me to God. God, I need you. And I pray that your presence, your life would come here now into my life. I don't want to feel like you are far away. I want to know you personally. I want to experience you in my life, walking with me. So today, God, I trust you. And I will follow you wherever it is that you lead me. From this moment on, my life belongs to you. I surrender to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. encourage you, if you prayed that prayer today and that was the first time you have prayed that, you know, if, you, if you know somebody here, just, just let them know that. Hey, I, I prayed today to trust Christ for my future and my life. And let them pray for you. Let them be aware of how you're doing. Let them encourage you in the future. And if you have any questions, I'm going to just hang out here in the front. You're welcome. Just come find me or one of the other pastors that you saw up here today. If you have questions and we can serve and care for you, we'd be delighted to do that. All right, guys, here, here, I leave everybody with this question. Right now in your life, you got some categories that are difficult, that are painful, that are uncertain. And the living God stands before you and says, I've given you every reason to have courage. I'm with you. Don't forget that. And if you do forget that, it's because you've been forgetting to read your Bible lately, and you won't be getting a medal in the Olympics, okay? <clears throat> So you have to get all that out real quick. All right, guys, get in your word. Let God convince you again. He's near to you. He's near to you. And trust him. Have courage. Be courageous. Amen? All right, guys, you're dismissed. Thank you. Pastor Keith, the luncheon, do you want to say something about that? Hey, guys, quick reminder, there's lunch upstairs. For those of you who are new to the church, we haven't had a chance to have you for lunch. This is your chance. Come be had for lunch.